In Chicago, more than 50% of COVID-19 cases and nearly 70% of COVID-19 deaths involve Black individuals, although Blacks make up only 30% of the population. Why is that? I got four words for you. Social determinants of health. What are those? Stay tuned and we'll get into it. You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. This is day I don't even know what of quarantine, and I am coming to you guys with a topic that is not as much love and light as uh, maybe some of you all are used to getting from the purple stethoscope, but I will say there is no light without darkness. What is love if there isn't evil or an opposing um, force? So we're going to talk today and we're going to talk about something um, near and dear to my heart. I am obsessed. I don't want to say obsessed. I am inspired and motivated by health disparities. Um, Social justice is my jam. Social justice and healthcare is definitely my jam. It's the reason why I came into healthcare and the reason why I do what I do. Most of you know that this podcast is a passion project. It's not something that anyone's hunting me down to pay me to do. Um, But I just come from a community that absolutely suffered uh, health disparities. And and that's always been very intriguing to me. Um, I can remember when I was younger, I had a friend and she was white and she had grandparents and she, I think she even had great grandparents when we first became friends. And like her family was just so not big. My family was always bigger, um, but she had longevity. And that was something that I had not seen in my family. I was born in Prince George's County, Maryland. Most of my father's family is still there to this day. Um, And, you know, at the time I met this friend, I had one grandmother who died in 1958 at the age of 34, a grandfather who died in 1992 at the age of 67, and a grandmother who died in 1989 at the age of 58. I had but one living grandparent, and I still do. Shout out to my granddaddy who is turning 94 this July. Um, So yeah, growing up, I came into the world with only three or four grandparents. And by the time I was 13 years old, I had one. I also lost an aunt at the age of 42 from breast cancer and another aunt at the age of 36 from complications of pulmonary hypertension. I grew up feeling like there was a bit of a cloud over my head. Um, 
it actually influenced a lot of the uh, very important decisions that I've made in my life, including marriage. Hello, I got married very young at the at the age of 23, had my children at 17, 23, and 25, um, just felt like I only had so much time, and so I needed to get some stuff done. It also influenced my career of choice. Um, my father was diagnosed with diabetes and hypertension in his early 40s, and um, my parents were 30 when they had me. So I was um, a young kid, you know, 10, 12 years old when my dad was diagnosed with two chronic diseases. And I was old enough to watch and see how things progressed um, throughout his life, how it affected his ability to work, how it affected um, his ability to do certain things, participate in certain things that us kids were doing, as well as how they progressed to his untimely death at the age of 64. So why am I bringing up this awful sounding sob story? Um, well, it's my family story, and it's a story that has been highlighted as of late. There's a lot of discussion surrounding health disparity um, as it relates to COVID-19. And um, the, my favorite thing that I have seen was uh, that COVID-19 it's not showing us anything new. It's highlighting an old problem, a good old American problem. And while America is not the only place in the diaspora where Africans live, it is a place that was founded on oppression, racial oppression. It's a place that became an economic power on the backs of Africans who were enslaved. And it's a place that did not know what to do with those Africans um, when enslavement was no longer lawful or acceptable. And so baked into our laws and policies and procedures and policing and teaching and access who gets access to what is a lot of spillover from a time when we were separated by law. Um, one of the interesting things to me too when we talk about integration is um I think integration is a great example of what happens when something is not thought out. Freedom isn't something that we can wait for and say, yeah, we know that you want to be free. You know you want equality. We just have to figure out the logistics of it. So we saw it when slavery was ended. Okay, what now? And we see it again, you know, over and over throughout many movements in history. Um, and I think we're going to actually see some of that with COVID-19. Uh, there's a lot of nonviolent um, prisoners being released. And, uh, you know, it, it's a time that calls for action right now. 
And maybe all the logistics of it are not thought out. What are you returning to when you're released from prison after years and, and perhaps decades? What are you, where do you go <laughs> when you're released? Um, how do you feed yourself if you don't have a job and you have a record? Um, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, um, but I do want to talk about the things that caused my family to die early, that may have caused people in your family to die early, and that absolutely predispose Black people to higher infection and mortality rates of COVID-19. And those things are social determinants of health. Um, social determinants of health is maybe an academic term, maybe not something that comes up so much in everyday conversation, uh, but we talk about it, and a lot of it has to do with integration. Think about segregation. Think about what the world looked like. My mother and father grew up in segregation. My mother explained it to my kids one day as, you know, you know where the train goes through town. Imagine growing up your whole entire life and never going on the other side of that track. My dad um, talked about food in, in such a way that was um, really intriguing to me. I, I'll never forget one day I made him a salad. Um, I love salads. Um, I love, <laughs> I just love salads. I'm not going to go on a tangent about that either, but I gave him a salad and he ate it and he looked at me and he said, how did you make this salad tastes so good. And I started telling him, oh, daddy, you know, you got to have something crunchy, some sweets on this, you know, these kind of greens. And he, a salad to him was like the bagged salad that you drench in ranch. Uh, and that's not what I, what I did or what I do. Um, and he, I said, daddy, how do you not eat you know, why don't you eat like this? Why don't you like this type of food? And he told me how the grocery markets, the supermarkets in, you know, his city growing up were segregated. And so the produce that they got was produce that was being thrown out from the white stores and he didn't want nothing to do with it. He said it would be all rotten and bugs flying around. You know, it, it wasn't appealing to him. Um, social determinants of health are conditions in the environment where people are born, grow, live, work, and age that affect health. Again, conditions in the environment where people are born, grow, live, work, and age that affect health. There are six of them primarily, economic status, housing, healthcare accessibility, education, neighborhood, and healthy food access. And I'll share this on the Instagram as well. And these six things are like a web of things that determine um, all kinds of of things. They they interlap with each other. They intersect. How much money you have is going to determine your housing and your neighborhood. Um, how much education you have is going to determine how much 
money you're able to have access to, um, whether or not you have access to healthy food will determine how often you end up needing to access health care. So all of these things play together to determine health. And that is why they are called social determinants of health. I am going to share from an awesome article called COVID-19 and African-Americans. But before I do that, I want to take a quick break to remind you guys of some important information. I will be back with the article after this. Hey, are your working hours the same as your doctor's office hours? Is it difficult for you to get in for a face-to-face appointment because of your schedule? Maybe even the extended hours run into the times that you're picking your kids up from their extracurricular activities or heading to your second job. Telemedicine makes healthcare available in a much more convenient way. Most of us have smartphones and that's all you need to have access to licensed and certified medical providers in all 50 states. I always put my favorite telemedicine platform in the show notes, so check it out. If telemedicine is not your bag or maybe you don't have access to a smartphone, You can go to freeclinics.com to find affordable health care near you. Freeclinics.com is a database of sliding scale, low cost and no cost health care facilities divided by state and city. So go to the website, click on your state and start looking for a town near you. Both of these platforms make healthcare more easily accessible. You can also Google your zip code and the words community health center. Those are just a couple of ways that you can get access to healthcare. I hope that was helpful. Now back to the show. I'm sharing a significant portion of an article called COVID-19 and African-Americans by Dr. Clyde Yancey from the Journal of the American Medical Association. This speaks directly to the disproportionate infection and mortality rates, and I will put the link in the show notes. Persons who are African-American or Black are contracting SARS-CoV-2 at higher rates and are more likely to die. Why is this uniquely important to me? I am an academic cardiologist. I study healthcare disparities and I am a black man. Well, I'm not, but the author is. You know what I mean. In Chicago, more than 50% of COVID-19 cases and nearly 70% of COVID-19 deaths involve black individuals, although blacks make up only 30% of the population. Moreover, these deaths are concentrated mostly in just five neighborhoods in the city's south side. If race per se enters this discussion, it is because in so many communities, race determines home. The communities where many black people reside are in poor areas characterized by high housing density, high crime rates, and poor access to healthy food. Low socioeconomic status alone is a risk factor for total mortality, independent of any other risk factor. Translation, being broke means dying younger, despite your race, despite your gender, 
despite any of the other social determinants of health. These social determinants of health must be considered in a complex equation, including known cardiovascular risk factors, which puts underrepresented minorities who live in at-risk communities at greater risk for disease, not just for cardiovascular diseases, but now for COVID-19 mortality. What makes this particularly egregious is that unlike the known risk factors for which physicians and others can stridently offer clear advice regarding prevention, these concerns, the burden of ill health, limited access to healthy food, housing density, the need to work or else, the inability to practice social distancing, cannot be well articulated as clear and as easily actionable items. So what is the action plan? It is less an action plan and more of a commitment. Public health is complicated and social reengineering is complex. But change of this magnitude does not happen without a new resolve. The U.S. has needed a trigger to fully address healthcare disparities. COVID-19 may be that bellwether event. Certainly, within the broad and powerful economic and legislative engines of the U.S., there is room to definitively address a scourge even worse than COVID-19, healthcare disparities. It only takes will. It is time to end the refrain. Again, that was from an article called COVID-19 in African Americans in the Journal of the American Medical Association written by academic cardiologist Clyde Yancey. And I really love the article. I don't have time to read the whole thing. If you want to look further into it, check out the link in the show notes. But he said so many things concisely. Um, and one of the things that stuck out to me was this is a scourge even worse than COVID-19, healthcare disparities. You know, I was talking to my mom on the phone earlier today, and um, she's not staying in my home, and I miss her dearly, and she is one of those people with underlying conditions. And, you know, she was kind of pointing out some of the silver linings of COVID-19, um, rest and restoration and the earth healing and all these things that we knew that we needed but didn't know how to access. And I said to her, you know, I am in agreement about all of that, but I wish it didn't come at such a high price. To which she responded, Devin, people die every day and black people die disproportionately to disease every day. And that's the same thing that Dr. Yancey is saying here. Like health disparity is worse than COVID-19. It's a crisis that has been going on for decades. There's underrepresentation of black and brown medical providers. Only 9% of nurse practitioners like myself are African American. Um, you know, and, and that serves hugely because there's classes I don't have to take to be able to take care of black people because I am black people um, and black people are my family and my community. For somebody who is not from that 
community, there are things that they may not even consider um, and may not recognize as barriers to compliance with a plan of care. Um, I despise the word non-compliant because, um, let me paint a picture for you. If you have a heart attack and you end up getting stents placed, one of the mainstays of treatment is cardiac rehab. Cardiac rehab happens three days a week, right smack in the middle of the day. Now, if you're 45 years old and you work two jobs, have one car and kids at home, is it fair for me to call you non-compliant if you don't come to cardiac rehab? No, the way that it was presented, the format in which it's made available is inaccessible to you. So you don't recover the same way from your heart attack. You understand? Um, Another example, um, and this was with a white patient that I had who lived in a very rural area. They had poorly controlled diabetes, um, low-functioning heart, and I wanted to put them in both a diabetic education class and a cardiac rehab class. There was one car, seven people in the household, uh, and and uh, some of those were kids. In fact, at that appointment, I had three generations represented. And the beautiful thing about that was I got to tell them, this is your mother. This is your grandmother. This is your future if something doesn't change. I'm treating her on the tail end of an event. I'm talking to you before that event ever happens. And before COVID ever happened, before a lot of diseases that we die disproportionately to ever happen, all the components are baked in under systemic racism and systemic oppression that is born out of segregation, that is born out of slavery, um, enslavement, and, and, and um, you know, people being grouped together and, and living together, forbidden from living in certain areas um, that have just never been treated the same, never been kept the same, never had the same amount of funds allocated or the same attention to education and hospitals. Um, a lot of times my cousin and my cousins and I will, will joke about, you know, knowing when you're in the hood because of the liquor stores and the pawn shops, you know, um, and we joke about it, but in reality, that is, a truth that's undeniable. I would love for somebody to hit me in the comments with statistics on um, pawn shops and liquor stores per capita in areas that are densely populated with people of color versus areas that are predominantly white. Um, so I am a solutions-oriented girl. I do not like to just hear about doom and gloom and not be given any offering to up my chances for doing better. A lot of times if you're working with a healthcare professional, you have heard the words modifiable risk factors or lifestyle changes. I want to be very clear about what's modifiable and what is not modifiable. 
Okay. And a lot of things that we historically call lifestyle changes or modifiable risk factors are in fact not accessible to people who fall into certain groups or live in certain areas. Okay. Economic status, is that modifiable or non-modifiable? Is it fixed or is it modifiable? I would say that your economic status is fairly fixed. Yes, you can change it, but it's going to take diligent work over a long period of time. Okay, it took me 10 years. Actually, I lived in the projects for seven years. Seven years. I was laid off. Um, had to get into a low-income housing situation, went back to school. It took seven years to be able to get out of that situation. So I don't know about you. And that was also with a lot of support. I've always had family support, okay? Um, And I'm married. So, you know, I've always had somebody that I could tag team the kids with. So would you call your housing and economic status modifiable? Um, Probably over time and, and and not a month or two, but over some serious time. Is education fixed or modifiable? Okay. Um, are you in a college preparatory situation uh, for high school? Is there good uh, pre-K in your area? How does all this play out? What are the graduation rates at the, at the high schools that are local to you? If you drop out of high school, accessing higher education uh, is difficult. If you are in a situation that doesn't allow you um, to finish high school, I myself was pregnant at 16 years old, had my amazing, incredible daughter um, at age 17. That made higher ed difficult to access because um, I had to have somewhere for my child to be and that kind of thing cost money. The question again is education, modifiable or fixed? Um, neighborhood, you know, is where you live something that you can change. There's a lot of research surrounding epigenetics and being able to do certain genetic testing. You know, it is said that we carry trauma in our DNA. And so, you know, there was a lot of science and, and research around that topic. You know what else determines your lifespan? Your zip code. So never mind a fancy new test to say, hey, do you have that DNA that is traumatized and uh, makes you experience the world in a different way at a higher level of alertness? Are you hypervigilant? Well, you don't need to do a DNA test to do that. You can look up zip codes. I challenge you listeners. Look at the zip codes in your area. Look at the change in the lifespan uh, from one zip code to the next to the next. There's one uh, zip code in my county where the lifespan is 10 years less than that um, in the in the area where I live. There also aren't grocery stores out there. There's some convenience stores, gas station, but there's not grocery stores. There's not good transportation. How do you get to a job if you don't have access to public transportation and you don't have a car? 
Um, so you see how these things intersect and overlap. Healthcare accessibility, is that modifiable or is it fixed? I mean, can you go out and build a hospital with all the things that your community needs um, within reach of your community, within economic reach and demographic reach? Um, and healthy food access, the same idea with grocery stores. I'll never forget working with a nurse that was like, you know, she was talking about a patient that was overweight and had poorly controlled diabetes and was like, you know, it doesn't cost much to grow your own food. You can just grow a garden and have healthy food to eat regardless of whether you have money or access to a supermarket with a produce section. And I kind of turned and and I looked at her and I must have had a puzzled look on my face because she was like, what? And I said, um, what, so where do you plant the garden if you don't own property? If you don't have a yard, do you do, you do it in the bathtub? You, you put your seeds in the bathtub and turn the shower on when you want to water them? There are real barriers to health that we face, that people all over the world face, and certain groups face disproportionately. And those barriers we term social determinants of health, and they are not as easy to modify as it might sound to someone who is privileged, to someone who has money and access to all of these things. It sounds like a no-brainer. Move. Go back to school. Get out of that community. Stop eating that high-sodium processed food. These are things that you'll hear healthcare professionals say, and they're also things that cause shame and cause people to not want to come back because you shouldn't have to explain to your doctor that you don't have a supermarket in your neighborhood with a produce section. Um, so it's easier to just not come back. It's easier for them to deem you non-compliant and you know, make you feel like you're wasting their time. So solutions, in my opinion, um, reparations has a place in this conversation. And I've always felt like reparations should be free access to as high of an educational degree as one is driven to attain, as well as access to healthcare um, for, at no cost. There's so many other things that can be discussed, so many other things that um, could be considered as far as solving the problem of healthcare disparity. But I love the way Dr. Yancey put it in his article it only takes will. Certainly, within the broad and powerful economic and legislative engines of the U.S., there is room to definitively address a scourge even worse than COVID-19, healthcare disparities. I would love to hear from you all. What are your thoughts about the infection and mortality rates of COVID-19 in African Americans? What do you think would be um, reasonable in the way of reparations? Do you think reparations even have a place in this conversation? Who are the players that come to the table to discuss 
ways to truly end health disparity in the United States of America? And lastly, what would that mean for the wealth gap? I love talking with you guys. I love hearing back from you guys even more. Keep listening so you can see how to find me on the East Streets. And until next time, eat fresh and dance. Bye. for listening to the purple stethoscope i'm your host devin nixon family nurse practitioner you can find me on social media at d the np that's on twitter facebook instagram and now patreon if you like what you heard go ahead and share this episode and then head over to patreon to see how you can further support this work Music.